China has a quarter of the world's Alzheimer's patients. With the country's gray population growing rapidly, the number of patients will likely increase fourfold by 2050. Meet the patients, their families and caregivers, and discover the anxiety, struggle and misconceptions behind one of the biggest problems of an aging society in our documentary, Aging in China, Living with Alzheimer's, on CGTN Radio. For podcast listeners, search The Top Story and find the program on all popular podcast apps on September the 21st, the 30th World Alzheimer's Day. Zoom in on global affairs with insightful debates and exclusive interviews. This is World Insight. My name is Tian Wei. I'm a moderator for this session. It is entitled, Digital Boost to Green Innovation. Some say, wow, you got all of these critical words inside the same panel. Digitalization, as we know, has been transforming our world. Even though there are challenging issues related to it, but we are seeing it is making a difference to our lives and the many around the world. Meanwhile, green innovation is so important as we are approaching the tasks of SDGs. We all know how challenging it is today. So how can we bring the synergy between the two, digitalization and green innovation? Now, digitalization, let's explain the topic a little bit. Which stage is it happening from your parts of the world, from your industry, what are some of the major trends that you are watching very closely that could contribute to our discussion today? I see that um, on the digitalization side, and if you connect it with sustainability, there are three main aspects uh, that are happening right now. One is um, monitoring the impact to the nature. So this is where the digitalization has a very big uh, role to play uh, to see what is the impact of different, well, in my case, farming practices and etc. Second is um, bringing new knowledge to people to implement uh, sustainable practices. So that's where digitalization can spread way more than we can do uh, in one-to-one human interactions. And then the third thing is bringing finances or financial incentives uh, to those to, who, who actually want to apply new practices and uh, making this automatic and dig- digital. So I think right now uh, on the, well, especially on the sustainability field, we are mainly on the piloting phase of those uh, aspects, but eventually we, we want to move more towards scaling. Just to give you an example, we are working today with 1.4 million hectares of farmers, but there are billions all around the world who are waiting for these solutions. So I think we are doing very well with the innovation part, but uh, we have to do way more on the implementation part. Mm. Good answer, I guess. It also gives us a very good uh, beginning because today we are not just going to talk about the challenges. We are going to talk about the solutions. We are going to talk about the actions. That's what we are here for. Nell? So I'm coming from the education landscape and, you know, I, I grew up in poverty myself and I went to school barefoot, but I feel it has gotten a lot harder right now to be a child in rural Kenya. At least when I was growing up, the rivers were not dry. Right now the rivers are dry, we can't even harvest. 
the last time we had a good harvest was 2019 and so it's getting really worse and all the people are trying to do they're like let's plant more trees they just want to they just want to do all they can about climate change they're just planting trees and so it has become extremely hard to be a kid in rural kenya and so when i think about the digital economy i think about being able to work remotely for any company in the world without leaving your village that's what we are coming we're coming at i think it's really cheap it's really cheap to do that. All you need to do is educate, educate our kids, educate our population, how they can work as software engineers, how they can work as producers, how they can do that from the communities, because you don't have to leave home to make it. Well said. From our own village for the global community. Thank you very much, Ray. And indeed to the global community. And I think I'm following up on that because as you say from our corners of the world, so my corner of the world is the world, you know, as, as the UN Agency of uh, Digital Technologies. I think it's great to follow on on Robin and Nelly because they already showed what, how digital can be important in different areas, from agriculture to education. But of course, to achieve that, we have to have infrastructure in place. Mm. And I think we still, you know, so we just released new numbers of connectivity, which shows that, uh, that currently we have 5.4 billion people connected to the internet, and, and two point, but still 2.6 billion people offline. And behind those numbers is a few also trends. First is that this double-digit growth on connectivity that we enjoyed every year during the COVID, really COVID boost, we call it sometimes, is now a bit of a tapering off, so it's still growing, but not at that fast pace. And of course, another thing that's behind that is the, uh, is the disparities in the connectivity. So if we have in the high-income countries more than 90% of people connected, in the low-income countries less than a third is, you know? And I think that's where, where picking up what, what Nelly said, you know, about these opportunities, that's where exactly those opportunities are, that's where also that divide is, you know? And that's how, and this is important to overcome that divide to get that boost. And, and we see that divide with the really sometimes negative consequences. You know, UNESCO recently released a report about education in the context of COVID-19 and remote education and, and demonstrated how actually COVID, you know, de decreased uh, those inequalities in education as well, you know, by half a billion uh, students being excluded from education as the world moved to online education. And of course, then, the, so this is like a basics what we have, but of course, we're now starting to talk about this, what we call still emerging technologies, even though in many ways they emerged like AI. And there we also see, of course, big disparities as well. You know, we see the good potential to tackle challenges from development, for economic development, to climate, but we see disparities. So statistics say, for example, that in terms of economic boost to China's economy, AI could, could, could add around 26% of GDP by 2030 to North America, nearly 15%, but those numbers are much, much very different in other parts of the world. So I think that's, uh, so I think we have digitalization growing and becoming more pervasive, but we have huge disparities that we need to overcome. Right. You talk a lot about the challenges, which I hope you are going to provide some of the solutions a bit later. We'll okay. <laughs> and by the way, I also have some numbers to share. This is from the, this house, from WTO. Data from WTO. The global digital service trade reached already about uh, 3.82 trillion US dollars in the year 2022. That is marking a 3.9% year-on-year increase in this quite challenging economic situation we are talking about. And that's accounting for about 53 to 54% of global service trade overall. So digitalization is really catching up when we talk about trade, just to add to some of your numbers Definitely. earlier. Let me go to you also, Sally, about your thoughts from the UNEP's perspective. Where is digitalization of the things that you are dealing with today? 
one of the things that I love about the world we live in today, way, is that it forces us to think beyond borders, not just geographical borders, but also across sectors and across industries and across domains. So in this day and age, you can no longer talk about trade, for example, without talking about digitalization, without talking about the environmental impact of things, without talking about the economic agenda and education and literacy and so on. And what this forces us to think about as well are the enablers. And Thomas talked about connectivity, so I'm going to talk about data. So imagine a scenario where, we don't have to imagine it, it happened a few uh, weeks ago when we had those terrible floods in India. And India is one of the biggest suppliers of rice in the world. So initially it's, a, it's an environmental crisis but it also has impacts on the global supply chain of rice. So many countries had to review how they're going to meet their needs to feed their local populations because of the floods that happened in India. Now, imagine if we had the right data at the right time that would prevent, that would um, allow us to forecast these types of, of disasters via digital channels, being able to communicate them and put in place mitigation measures to at least lessen the effect on the global supply chain of rice. So these are the kinds of stories that data tells us. And from an environmental perspective, just to bring it back to my domain, that's also what we try to do. So we have across the United Nations, we have 92 uh, SDGs, uh, SDG indicators, and we're already able to track up to 42% of them using data. Of course, that leaves another 58% and we're working on that. But it's important that we look at these data sets holistically. Mm. How does environment cross intersect with digital? What is the digital impact and what is the environmental impact? We always have to look at both sides of the coin. Professor, uh, looking at the panel, uh, beside me, you are the only one coming from Asia. And as a moderator, I would not be able to comment. So your voice is so crucial from uh, a huge proportion of the world population as well. Where is Asia in terms of digitalization? Knowing that you are an expert in atmospheric science. Please, Professor. So I'll give you an example. Like, you know, Tianwei, when you at the beginning, you talked about like, you know, this topic has or this session has the all these buzzwords. So I was thinking of like, you know, the one thing that I work on is renewable energy, which kind of hits a lot of these green, digital and trade, these uh, buzzwords. And it's a great kind of success story, especially in India. And in India, what I have personally seen in the last like, you know, seven, eight years that we have grown from uh, like, you know, almost a very small player in renewables to today we are in the top five in whichever metric that you use in mostly in wind and solar. And this would not have been possible, not just installed capacity, but also like grid penetration of renewables if there was no like, you know, widespread digitalization. Now, when you run uh, like, you know, relying on wind and solar, basically we all know that these are intermittent, like, you know, the wind blows hot and cold. The sun is shining, a cloud comes in, the sun is gone. So obviously to handle this intermittency, basically if you are a grid operator, you have to somehow manage the supply with the demand. 
And so this is something that we get. I, I, my student has a startup and there are a number of other startups that are working in this field is mm. like getting all these data starting from like, you know, consumption at an individual like consumers meter and to the generation from an individual inverter in a solar plant. You put them together, you get real time information about what is the load, what is the demand. You take all this data and then feed it into your like forecast models, AI-based models often to forecast like what is going to happen. So if you are a grid operator and you did not have access to this data and you did not know how to use this data, we are looking at perhaps large-scale power cuts when the wind dies down or we are looking at grid mm. instabilization when there is a power surge. So without digitalization, I think this success story that we have would not have happened and we are going kind of full steam ahead like by 27, 2027 I think almost like more than half almost 75 percent of our power perhaps will come from renewables. Mm. There are a lot of questions uh, like this that need to be worked out both as infrastructure level and also at the action level. Having said that though you mainly focus on your home country India and rightly so if I could also provide some data about Asia as a whole the latest that we got is that Asia accounts for 60% of the overall global digitalized, uh, digital related uh, patents and new technologies over the past few years. So that's a very promising uh, continent we are talking about. I don't want to only talk about Asia because Africa uh, as a part, very important part of the developing uh, economies plays a critical role, especially with the free uh, Africa free trade area, the continental free trade area. We see a lot of young people like uh, Nelly go banking, for example, uh, with the digital means. So all of this is really changing. Besides the earlier stereotypes we have about the developing economies and even the least developed economies, we are seeing changing right now. You probably also could tell similar stories from your parts of the world. Well, absolutely. Well, uh, the uh, kind of on the digitalization, uh, the main difference that we see, and uh, probably that's some people who have visited Africa uh, see as well, is that in Europe um, we have been more on the computer. In Africa, it's already in the smartphone. So it's a bit like always uh, in those developing countries, you skip a st you skip steps, you go ahead right away. Mm. And um, and and but in the end, you know, it's 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 all the same. In our case. Uh, if you if you want to kind of move global uh, economy more towards sustainability, then digitalization has to be a part of this because uh, you cannot you cannot go physically in our case to all of the farmers and ask what are your emissions. You need digital tools for this. Mm. You cannot go uh, like physically all the power plants. You cannot see what are the emissions over there. You need the digitalization for this. Mm. And uh, well, for in, in that sense, Europe and Africa are quite similar. Uh, the difference that we see, for example, is that, uh, we, well, on, on the aspect where the money is coming from in transforming toward digitalization and toward the greener economy. Mm -hmm. In Europe, it's mainly coming from the value chain. So if we are incentivizing farmers to apply more sustainable practices, it's usually, it is usually paid by the value chain players, so by food companies. In Africa, I think the key theme is voluntary carbon market. And, and, and this is something that is bringing more income to uh, African 
economy and is directing this and paying basically for the digitalization and at the same time for the uh, greener economy. So these are the differences we, we are noticing. Nelly, mm. please, uh, how you are localizing, for example, in Africa, these uh, challenges and try to provide solutions while you are going along the way. So your question about some of the of the local solutions. Uh, so there's a company that is uh, very close to where we are in Mogotio that is actually uh, they hired a lot of uh, local youth in the community to actually do AI work. So they were working remotely for, you know, for self-driving cars and help help uh, train those AI models. And that created a tons of jobs a lot. And we are seeing so many, so many uh, you know, opportunities for youth in the community to mm. actually work remotely for these companies. Mm. And that's, it's creating a lot of jobs and it's very, very optimistic that way. let's talk about the solutions. Recently, we have seen uh, among uh, whether it is a bilateral, multilateral, or regional trade mechanism, they are trying to deal with data flows. They're trying to deal with rules of data flows and trying to set some examples. WTO has also been working a lot of research on that. So how do you see uh, what are some of the most promising areas we're looking at? And that could provide some impetus for our future to shine on the future solutions. Uh, Thomas. Think about your questions, there's like a two sides to that. Solutions for not having enough and solutions for having too much, you know? So it's like, and I'll explain what I mean by that, you know? So, from, but because we, we kind of see these two sides of digital as well, of uh, digital uh, inequality and ability not, you know, not to be, con you know, the problems of when people are not connected, when this digital world is not at their hands. And another aspect which we spoke as well about when, as we progress with the digital, how, which are the risks this is uh, creating, you know, in terms of climate risks, as we discussed from e-waste to emissions, but also, of course, and you started to, uh, to talk here about, about uh, data, data governance, you know, we you know now we increasingly talk about risks of uh, artificial intelligence and others. And I think we kind of need solutions for both, you know, so because I think sometimes we focus to on one or the other. We say, how do we bring digital to everyone? Or then we kind of get totally scared and say, no, 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 actually, mm -hmm. it's also risky. We kind of need to reclaim, reclaim the cyberspace for humanity. We need to manage, manage this development. So I think for us, uh, exactly from ITU's perspective, we look at both sides. So of course, infrastructure development, we do that through you know, so many layers from, of course, global regulatory layer. And, uh, you know, we are the agency that manages, uh, manages spectrum world globally, as well as satellite orbits. And just later this year, we'll have what we call World Radio Conference, where the world comes together to agree how that is managed. And the idea of that, of course, for the in terms of access of um, access to data, wireless plays a huge role. We just discussed how smartphones change their, change their use everywhere in the world to, of course, different, uh, di different gamut of standards to our development work. And our development work will also focus from helping national frameworks in terms of regulatory frameworks that enable private sector investment flow, because only government fund money would, would not help, to then going down and, and making sure that the, let's say, demand side is there. I think we have everything we need. Uh, I mean, for digitalization, for reaching, uh, well, maybe not for net zero emissions, but close to this, we have everything. So now it's the focus is on the implementation. And on implementation, well, Nelly is implementing digital solutions already. Uh, 
we have partners all around Europe and Africa. In Africa, we have a guy called Mr. Samuel, and uh, he's, he's working with small farmers. He has his own uh, training center for them, bringing farmers over there, training for a week, and then those farmers go there to their own villages, apply new practices, uh, start using software to, I don't know, uh, to, to kind of order some seed or fertilizers or whatever they need. Mm. So we have those implementers. Now it's, it's only about uh, supporting those local people. I think we are going to the right direction anyways. There are many challenges. There are new challenges even we don't know about, but we will figure it out. Mm. Uh, we are going to the right direction and it's, only, it's mainly about supporting the implementation of the existing technologies. Mm. If you would implement, well, solar energy, like energy from the sun or wind, this is the cheapest already today, implementing this on farming, there are already so many solutions uh, that can improve the productivity in the farming digital solutions, implementing those. And I guess Nelly can give really good examples how mm. she's working uh, together with, uh, with, with, with young people in Kenya to educate them how to implement, how to be those uh, uh, kind of uh, activators in their villages mm. uh, and, and make sure that the digitalization is happening over there. Right. So when I, when, when I was thinking about starting Tech Africa, there's a question that kept coming up in my head, which was, why is, why is rural Africa poor? Are we, just, are we just born to suffer? Are we just born to just worry about food and health? And it took me a really long time to come down to digital tools, to come down to digital economy, because I was like, oh, well, if I teach these kids how to code and they're hungry, uh, what am I doing? Or if mm. they're sick and, and all that. And what gave me comfort and what really kind of like made it okay for me to just focus on this part is that just the power of it, just how technology is such a magnifier. We are seeing even how M-Pesa transformed everything. Before M-Pesa, we used to uh, put money on an envelope and send it. So if I'm in school, my mom needs to send me money, put money on an envelope, put it on a, on a matatu, which is like a bus, and get it all the way to school. Mm. Now we just get a, a text message. Mm. And so, and what was really particularly powerful is just how, when you are able to earn money online, let's say you're working for Google as a soft, you're working for WTO as a software engineer from Mogotio, mm. and you're able to earn that money, you mm. get to decide what to do with your money, and you're able to spend on food, education, and so on. Mm. And so, it's very hard to worry about climate change when you're just trying to to feed your kids that night, or you're just trying to survive, just trying to treat your kids. So I thought about it and I realized like, hey, if I can get rid of poverty, if I can sustainably fix poverty, create jobs for these people at a very, very cheap infrastructure, because all you need to do is just educate these people, then we're bringing more people to the table. Right. Then we're going to have more people talking about climate change solutions. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to have more people actually be part of the solutions. How do you see, you know, what the gap that we are talking about, especially the developing economies? Uh, where are they in terms of designing our solutions? So I'll start with the Asian one. We started a project at UNEP uh, that was funded by the government of Japan, actually. And it's to do with plastic pollution in rivers in Asia. And it turns out that most projects, when they talk about plastic pollution, they look at oceans and seas and things like that. But actually, rivers are some of the biggest contributors. And so what uh, we implemented together with uh, a bunch of partners is a system that is AI-enabled that detects plastics in rivers and classifies the type of plastic. So what exactly is it? Where is it? Where are the hotspots? 
And not only that, but it, it connects with different local communities like schools, for example, to organize campaigns to go and clean those hotspots. And at the same time, trace based on the type of plastic and the type of, uh, of material and so on and so forth, it traces it back across the supply chain to its origin so that we know what the source of pollution is and can start fixing the problem at the source. So this is a project that's been implemented quite successfully for a few rivers in Asia. We're hoping to take it to, to Africa and other continents next. The other Africa-based project has to do with, uh, with agriculture, actually. So one of the biggest problems in Egypt, where I'm originally from, is that uh, in the Nile Delta, most um, farming plots are very small and owned by relatively poor farmers who don't have access to a lot of technology and a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. And this creates a problem for them because they can't market their crops. They don't often know what they need to know in terms of using pesticides and fertilizers and that kind of stuff. So what we implemented was a two-stage project. The first phase was a smart assistant for farmers. We implemented a, a chatbot, voice-enabled, so you don't have to know how to read and write, that gives them advice. And you can just snap a picture of a pest, for example, on a mm. plant, have it diagnosed in seconds, and know how to treat it. You know what the market price is for your crop, when to irrigate, when to plant what, and so on and so forth. So, again, this is an example of how a government can make an impact on a very, very local and, and individual level. So thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, on the panel, and great appreciation for all of you. With that, we're coming to the end of this uh, high-level session on Digital Boost to Green Innovation. I'm Tian Wei. Thank you so much. Bye.